Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Glad that we can gather together. Aren't you all happy that there's freedom to gather together? Hallelujah. It's a good, good thing. Um, uh, we're going to... Uh, uh, I don't know if you, you've kept up in the news. This is actually, I think, incredible um, that this, in this year in Kalamazoo, almost a billion dollars was donated by private individuals. $550 million an anonymous donor gave to Western Michigan University. Did you guys know that? How many knew that? Yeah, yeah, read the news. <laughs> Largest donation ever to a to a to a uh, institution of learning in the United States to our college right there, our, our university, Western Michigan University, a half a billion dollars, and it's going to change how that school operates. And then just this past week, a group of anonymous donors gave $400 million to the city of Kalamazoo. Yeah. To uh, improve, make improvements, to, to uh, continue. There was a donation of $40 million a few years ago to lower the tax rate for the city of Kalamazoo. So nearly a billion dollars given by private individuals, listen to this, to the government. Western Michigan University is part of the state government. And the city of Kalamazoo is the government. All right. Can you imagine? Why would someone be motivated to give a billion dollars or a group of individuals? It's because they believe that there's going to be a change. There's going to be improvement. And that's a good thing. I mean, it's amazing. I think someone should study this. Really. Like, we live in a community that's incredibly generous. And let me tell you, they're anonymous donors, but I guarantee you, they're business people. And they recognize the value of investing in their community. And they put their money where their mouth is. They're actually making a massive investment. And when we give to the church, we're making a similar statement. Now, I can't give a billion dollars. I can't give a million dollars. But, you know, over the course of a year, I give thousands of dollars. And I encourage you, as you give, you give to make a difference. Because you believe that the gospel has power. I actually believe that it has more power than the government. Right. And if you know any of those anonymous people, would you please let, introduce them to me? <laughs> Let's make a difference by giving and giving generously. There's many ways to give. There's, uh, it's on our website. There's iPad. There's envelopes. There's all kinds of ways. We try to make it easy. Uh, but it, it is an act of faith and it is an act of worship. We have just one announcement today. <clears throat> And that is on the 15th of August. Can you believe August is already here? 
Are you ready for fall? Oh, come on. Fall is great. It's just what follows fall. Yeah, there we go. August 15th, uh, lunch with the pastors. And so if you're new to New Day, if you've been attending, but you haven't joined the church or even know what that means, this is an opportunity for you to, uh, after church, have lunch with uh, Vencers and I, and we will share what it means to take the next step and become uh, a member of New Day. And, uh, and you're not obligated, of course, to do that, but you can find out what that means, what that looks like, and you get a free lunch. So that's pretty good. <clears throat> All right. August 15th, don't forget about that. Okay. And now, children are already dismissed. Announcements are done. We get a sermon. How many saw the movie, the, uh, what's it called? It's not the Avengers. Guardians of the Galaxy. All right, the best Marvel movie ever. Amen? All right, really? Come on. One of the best. Okay, and there's a character whose name is... And his dialogue consists of? That's all he says in the whole movie. I am Groot. I am Groot. I am Groot. I am Groot. <clears throat> and so when we decided to take a month to talk about what it means to be part of a small group, I couldn't resist. I am Groot. But I think there's some, I actually think there's, it ties in. Bear with me. <laughs> and that in, I mean, we're Americans, we believe in individuality. But there is a truth that you find your identity through the group that you're a part of. Right? And that's, that's a good thing, actually. And to be completely isolated, independent is actually harmful. We're not created to be isolated. The most severe form of punishment is uh, solitary confinement. And so being part of a group is part of who we are. <clears throat> and obviously Marvel didn't have that intention when they made the character, but that's what the intention that I'm saying. And also I think it's kind of unique, especially that group of, uh, in, in, the, in that, uh, that movie. You know, individually, they, they were all kind of yeah, misfits. I mean, this, this character was just a, a tree or a twig, right? In the, in the um, Tolkien universe, he would have been an ant. But when they came together, they became superheroes. And so that's the idea of tying in the movie, whether you like it or not. <laughs> What do you think this illustration says? Hmm. A group is better than one. What's that? Somebody, did someone else, uh, somebody said a group is better than one. Was there another option? Any other? A circle is greater than a line. That's actually a saying in um, pastor talk and um, those who 
uh, discuss and study uh, uh, church and discipleship, that circles can accomplish things that lines cannot accomplish. Circles are greater than lines. What do I mean by that? Okay. Uh, The Hebrew way of training involved basically small groups. Okay. Rabbis would call disciples. And so when Jesus went uh, up to Peter and James and John and said, follow me, he was actually inviting them in as individuals to be his students. And that was just a normal thing that rabbis did in uh, Israel during that that age. Um, Actually, most rabbis would call younger uh, uh, young boys to become rabbis, generally in early high school, late elementary school. The ones that excelled in their studies, they would be invited to train under a particular rabbi. And so when Jesus came to uh, Peter or James and John and Matthew and invited them into um, becoming one of his disciples, that was the highest honor that a, a man could receive in that culture to study under a rabbi. Okay? But that was the way, that was just how higher education worked in a Hebrew culture. A rabbi would collect a small number of students or disciples, and basically they did life together, just like we see Jesus doing life together with the disciples over years. And, and that's the Hebrew way of learning. The Greek way of learning is what we're doing right now. You are all in lines. Get it? We're not in a circle. We're in lines. It's the academy. It's, it's, it's everyone comes, sits down, and listens to someone speak. That's a Greek methodology of learning. It, the one is more relational. The other is hierarchical. Okay? So in a circle, there's no clear leader. They're in a circle. Right? But when you're all lined up, and I'm standing in front, anybody that walks through that door... Or anybody that tunes online, they're going to go, oh, they're all listening to him. So he must have information that is being communicated. I mean, there's just so much implied in the setting of this room that we actually learned from going all the way back to the ancient Greeks and passed it down. And, that's, and it's not bad. It's just different. Okay? But in a group, it's about relationship. In lines, in an academy, it's about hierarchy. I have something to give you. And I do have something to give you. Uh, One is best at discipleship. The other is best at more academic learning. Okay? And discipleship is more than just learning information. It's about developing relationship and accountability and doing life together. And so circles can do stuff that lines can never do in the world of spiritual growth, spiritual formation. And it's not one or the other. We do both. But we need to understand the importance of the circle. And so another way to to look at this is a group versus a class. And, you know, when you sign up for a class, if if you go to university, when I travel around the world and I tell people about Kalamazoo, I say, we're a college town. Everyone is either in school 
has been in university or works for the university, right? The university affects every. We have, you know, the Western Michigan University and then uh, uh, the Kalamazoo College. <clears throat> What's the other one? KVCC. <laughs> My memory's not working too good. Oh, speaking of memory, we don't have a picture, but have you heard that Justin and Christy Sprung had a baby? <laughs> Little Nori, and she's beautiful. And I wish I had a picture, but you can go online if you, if you haven't gone on Facebook. And we just celebrate the addition of little Nori. And we're so happy for uh, uh, Justin and Christy and this uh, addition to our family. So yay, well done. Okay. <laughs> Sorry I didn't do that during the announcement part. But I remembered it. All right. Okay. So another way to think. So when I go around the world, I, I explain to people, you know, it, the fact that we have so much um, institutions of higher education in Kalamazoo, it affects everything about Kalamazoo. And when you go to a different town where there's no university whatsoever, or like the nearest one might be 100 miles away, listen, it's, everything's different. And it's, it's, I like it. I like the difference. Um, <clears throat> but we live in a, in a community that kind of, is just saturated with that, the value of education. <clears throat> Group versus class. As you sign up for a class at Western or Valley, you're not really expecting a relationship with the instructor. Right? You just want to get through the class. Right? And you might end up having a relationship and, and, and valuing the input. You might find a mentor or someone that you can really connect with. But that's not part of the package. Right? And same with the other students. Like, you might find some friends, but that's not the point. And you know what? It's, you're going to be there for what? How, how long? 16 weeks? You know? Summer classes, eight weeks. And that's it. Um, in a group, and in a class, you expect to learn. Obviously, there's some input from other students, but you expect that teacher to come ready to deliver. Right? But in a group, you, it's different. The dynamic is, hey, we all come to deliver. And we learn from one another, right? That's huge. That changes everything. And the goal of a group is different than the goal of, of a class. It's to do life together. Is there transmission of information? I hope so. Let's communicate something of value. But that's not the ultimate goal. That's just part of the package. And the package is something bigger and greater and more powerful. And that's learning how to do life, being there for one another, both Types of learning and, uh, are beneficial, but spiritual growth is normally done best in group settings. <clears throat> Jesus' example shows this. Uh, in Luke 6, uh, 12, actually I like this whole chapter. I don't have time to, uh, to talk through the whole thing. I do have a whole teaching based on this chapter, but uh, an excerpt of it is when Jesus had been, um, uh, you know, Doing his ministry, he had already gathered disciples. And at one point, uh, it says, he came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. So, so Jesus spent a whole night just praying to his Father up in a mountain all alone. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. The disciples, it's one of those words that has different meanings based on the context. And so... Uh, 
Sometimes it, it refers to just the 12, but often, if not most of the time, it refers to a larger group of people that just followed Jesus and believed in Jesus and believed he was a rabbi and, and showed up at all of his meetings. So he called his disciples, and from them, this greater, larger group of disciples, he chose 12 whom he named apostles. And so here you see Jesus selecting a subgroup out of the bigger group of disciples. All right? And then later in that chapter, the the. The, the apostles, along with that group of disciples, go down the mountain, and there's a great multitude. And so that's the crowd, all right? So out of the congregation, Jesus selects his core, his, his small group. And then even if you read through Scripture, it's, it's just hinted at that Jesus actually had a group of three that were even closer, James and John and, and Peter. And he took them up the mountain, and they saw the, the transfiguration. And so this idea of how to do discipleship is clearly demonstrated throughout Jesus' ministry. He, he invested a lot into those 12. Matthew 13, as well as other places in Scripture, <clears throat> it says this, uh, Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. Don't you wish you knew what that looked like? You know, we see Jesus in all those paintings, glowing, talking to the multitude. Can you imagine when he was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. Go. <laughs> what do you think that looked like? Do you think he got hangry? <laughs> do you guys ever think of a scripture this way? Yeah, to, to me, it's, it's helpful to find things like this and say, what did that look like? At some point, Jesus told the crowd to leave. And too often, Christianity gets so absorbed with gathering a crowd that we don't realize that sometimes it's time for the crowd to leave. And so Jesus said, you're dismissed. Please go home. <laughs> and I don't know how it looked like, but he did it. He sent the multitude away and went into a house. And, his, and then he spent time just with his disciples. And they said, could you explain that parable? You know, another place he said, you know, to you it's given to know the mysteries of the kingdom. But to them, it's all parables. And there's just stories that they don't really understand. But these guys had an inside track. They had personal time with Jesus where they could listen to him explain. And so this is the idea of small group, that they, they had time without the multitude, without the program, without the, the, the rundown of things you have to remember to do on Sunday morning, where you just gather together and talk. And so Jesus patterned that as a way to do discipleship. That's how Jesus did discipleship. I think that's how we should do discipleship. Because that's what it means to be a Christian. Another place it says, Mark 6, when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place. And already the hour is late. So they'd been ministering to a group of thousands. And Jesus was teaching them and performing miracles and doing all kinds of great stuff. 
And it was like, now that the disciples are hangry, they're like, we're hungry and tired. Can we get this done? Let's wrap it up. Let's land this plane. Right? And they came to Jesus. So this dessert is already late. Send them away. Send them away. Uh, so that they can go get bread for they have nothing to eat. But he answered to them and said, you give them something to eat. And so, so this has actually happened. I believe it was an interaction that occurred in an actual fact. But from this, we can learn a lesson. Jesus was teaching his disciples, hey, guess what? They were getting stuff from Jesus, but he challenged his disciples. It's time for you to give stuff to others. And they're like, well, what do you mean? And they said, shall we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? It's like, that's all the money they had. Should we go spend all this money and buy bread? So they were thinking just in the natural. But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? What do you have? Go see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. And then he commanded them to make them sit down in groups on the green grass. And so here we see Jesus teaching his disciples, listen, you're going to get stuff from me, and we're going to supernaturally multiply it, and you're going to distribute it to groups. And so Jesus instructing his disciples to separate the, the, the crowd into smaller groups, have them sit down right, in green grass. You know that color is very rarely referenced in Scripture? Because it wasn't high on the, uh, so Hebrew literature didn't place a high value on color. Uh, they placed value on different things like repetition and stuff like that. But that means when it is mentioned, it should catch your attention. Where's another passage that has the word green? And what does it, Psalm 23, what does it say? He shall make, the, he shall make you lie down in green pastures. Right. This is not accidental. Jesus knew he was referring to, and this is in Scripture, to clue us in. What, what does it look like in the kingdom to lie down on green pastures? Well, at least part of the time, it looks like being with a group. Being ready to be fed. Fed fish and bread? Well, maybe. But ultimately, the purpose of this was receiving something supernatural from our Lord through the hands of others. And this is how it works in the kingdom of God. And Jesus was, they were doing this literally and physically to illustrate a spiritual reality that as we gather, as we sit down, take some time to rest, to, to share a meal, and to do life together, we actually get an impartation. If we're doing it in the name of the Lord, if we're doing it as his followers, we can receive something supernatural from God as well as supernatural from one another. Paul, you see this, also uses the same way of discipling and training. I love this story in Acts 19. So it happened while Apollos, one of the other early church leaders, was at Corinth, which was a large city, Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, another large uh, Roman city at that time. Finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to them, him, I love this response, 
we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So these were the cessationists? That was a joke. No, they just didn't know. They were the uninformed. All right? It says in uh, 1 Corinthians, I think it's 14, uh, that there are uninformed believers that don't know about the Holy Spirit. We don't even know that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, and to what were you baptized? So these were believers, so they, they, they confessed Jesus, they had heard about Jesus, didn't know about the Holy Spirit, so they didn't have the full package. And he was like, well, what were you baptized into? And they said, John's baptism. So that was John the Baptist. These guys had gotten caught into the revival of John the Baptist and a baptism of repentance. And Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so there was a, a, a baptism into Jesus. And then Paul laid his hands on them and the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. And so, wow, powerful things happen. Now listen, this happened in a group of 12. There were only 12 guys. It was a small group. Ephesus was a huge city. It's one of the main cities in, in that part of the of, uh, of Asia Minor, and it was a trade route, massive place. He found some people that believed. He started instructing them. He taught them stuff they didn't know. They experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and prophesied and spoke in tongues. And then Paul went into the synagogue, stood up in front of people and taught and, and challenged the, the Hebrews that were in that synagogue and in that city. Uh, and then he reasoned and persuaded concerning these things, uh, uh, concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But then some were hardened and did not believe. Some of the Jewish people got upset, which happened everywhere Paul went. Uh, spoke evil of the way before the multitude. Paul left. He departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of uh, Tyrannus. And so this was a school in Ephesus. They believed they, I was in Ephesus a few years ago, and they believed they know which building it was. They're not sure, but they were like, this is probably the building that Paul sat in. It's not, a big, it's not as big as this room. It's nowhere near as big as this room. So Paul was meeting in small groups, teaching them. It says, and this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. This is a powerful verse in the, in the New Testament. Because this says that through one man, Paul, meeting in small groups and instructing and imparting and baptizing and praying in tongues and prophesying and basically doing what we call church, they effectively reached that whole region, all of Asia. What that looked like was those disciples, after learning, would go out to neighboring villages and do the same thing Paul was doing. Find a few people tell them about Jesus, get them baptized, get them filled with the Holy Spirit, and do it again. All right, so churches planting churches, and they reach the whole 
region. I think that's exciting. <clears throat> he also uh, instructed Timothy to do this uh, with the people that he was. Timothy was one of Paul's uh, disciples, one of his students. He says, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you've heard from me among many witnesses, in other words, the things that you learn while you're doing life with me, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. All right, and so there's this multi-generational transformation of discipleship. Paul teaching Timothy, Timothy teaching other men, those men teaching other people. And, and most often this is done not in a classroom setting, but in a small group setting where there's relationship. There's information is important, but information combined with the relationship is, is what discipleship is really all about. We also see this in the example of the early church, Acts 2.42, uh, which is really a, a, a synopsis of what the early church did. It says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, uh, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all believed were in common, all who believed were in common and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and good and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, those who are being saved. Twice the word daily is used. They met daily, and the Lord added daily. They met in the temple. That's a, that's a situation uh, that's a large group, actually. The area of the temple, Solomon's porch, where they met, could hold up to 10,000 people. And so some of the stories of, of that happened, uh, we read in Acts, happened in a group of thousands. But then they met house to house. That means in small groups. You know, in the, in, the, in, the, in the temple, they were led by the apostles. But in small groups, I mean, there were thousands of, of believers already at this time. Uh, there wasn't thousands of apostles. There were only 12, right? And so who, were, who was leading those small groups? People like you. People willing to offer up their home and, and get together with others. And they did the same things in the small groups that they did in the temples. They just did them in a community setting, in a smaller setting, in a relationally-based setting. First uh, <clears throat> Corinthians 12 talks about how, what the life of the church is supposed to look like. It says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Listen, that requires uh, small groups to work. If one member suffers, all suffer with it. Even in a group this size, and we're not a big church, you don't know what other people are going through. But if you meet daily, house to house, in other words, regularly meeting together in a small group, guess what? You learn what other people are struggling. And you can, you can be there with them. And you learn uh, what other people are rejoicing over. And you can rejoice with them. And so group enables this to happen. Uh, community groups are intended to fulfill this purpose. Real quickly, I want to go through, uh, there's four quadrants. <clears throat> Again, this is from a more scholarly approach, but these are like, these are four areas that small group ministry really is um, 
equipped best to deal with and what should be the emphasis. The first quadrant is the theological. All right, guess what? God is a group. I am group. I am. Some of you get that. (laughs) Right? He's the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternal. Think about that for a minute. Uh, They're all unique individuals. We know this by their interactions. Uh, But they're one. They're so unified. God exists in community. And this is actually one of the most distinguishing aspects of Christianity. Okay? That there's a lot of other religions and a lot of other gods, but Christianity talks about a God who exists in community. That tells us a lot. That means that we need to be in a similar type of community in order to experience God. There's only so much of... Uh, you can experience from God as an individual because God shares everything with his son and the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit shares everything with the Father. They're in the state of ultimate unity and community. And in order for you to experience that and experience and know God in that level, you need to share your life. That's huge. It's a huge issue. You need to embrace this. You can't get there without others. God interacts with groups all through Scripture. You know, even at the beginning. Yeah, he created Adam, and what did he say? That's not good. It's not good that he's alone. In the very first story of the Bible, God says being alone isn't good. We need to make more people. And we need to make them able to produce more people. And so he created Eve, and they're able to reproduce. Because God's into reproduction. He likes groups. Noah and his family. He didn't just put Noah on a boat. He put Noah and his whole family on the boat. Right? And then choosing Abraham and his descendants, which became the nation of Israel. And within the nation of Israel, there were 12 tribes. Within the 12 tribes, there were different families. And God interacts with all of them. And then we have, of course, the church as the people of God, that God interacts with the church, and he calls the church to do certain uh, tasks. We're his ambassador. So theology is understanding God, and much of what God does and is is only understand in the context of relationship and in the context of group. All right? And so you want to advance in your theological understanding? You need to get connected with a group. Uh, Small groups are great for relation, relationships. Obviously, it's relational. All right, doing life enables us to mature. Groups enable interdependence. That's the goal. And that's a healthy understanding of I need you and you need me mindset, that we need each other. There's certain things that I need help with. There's certain things that you need help with. And together we can do life better. All right. It helps, it challenges group uh, dynamics, challenge a dangerous childlike dependence 
that says, oh, I can't survive on my own. I must have you in my life to take care of me. Okay, That's a codependent relationship. And a healthy group will actually challenge that. All right? It's like, no, actually, you just need to solve that problem. But we'll be praying for you. <laughs> you know, there's a time where, where that then creates a safe um, uh, atmosphere and uh, community to which people can step out on their own but know that they have someone rooting for them. And groups also help overcome uh, what is commonly considered a teenage-like independence <clears throat> or an immature independence that says, I don't need anyone else. I can do everything by myself. But if you're doing life together, you see the value of community. Christianity is personal, but not private. All right? This is a big idea. Per Christianity, faith in Jesus, it's personal. But it's never intended to be private. You need to share it with others closely, and you need to share it with everyone in an appropriate way. We're called in a relationship with God. We're called in a relationship with other believers. And small groups are a one way in which the church facilitates that. Now, you can have small groups that exist with Christians that are outside of this church. That's great. But we want to build a structure that people that come into this church can plug in to community and gain all of these benefits. <clears throat> and we're called... Uh, to have relationship with the world as his ambassadors. Third one is restorational. <clears throat> what that means is that, I'm going to read this quickly. It says, through the, this is an excerpt from a, um, an article written about the importance of small groups. Through his power, God's power, and healthy Christian community, God wants to redeem the pain of our personal history that has caused us uh, the pain our personal history has caused us and restore in us the joy and peace he promises. And this, uh, of course, uh, comes from Jesus's mission statement when he read from the book of Isaiah that the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to the heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the uh, acceptable year of the Lord, the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance to comfort all who mourn. So that's Christ's ministry, and as Christians, we are to do that. But listen, how do you effectively do that unless you're doing life with someone, unless you're uh, meeting regularly uh, and, uh, and getting to know them? Salvation and sanctification are about being restored as individuals families, communities, and every level of society. And so restoration, the restoring, the healing of our body, soul, and mind, and spirit is, is something that God intends to do in a community setting. It's not like you just go and have this experience with God and you come down from the mountain and everything's good. No, you know what? All through the Bible, people had experiences with God on mountains. Moses, Jesus, right? the prophets, but then they had to come down and relate to people, all right, and do life in command, walk it out with others. And the last one is missional, and that is small groups are on a mission to meet the needs of hurting people. And so that starts with us. And uh, they're on a mission to share with non-believers what Jesus can do 
and what Jesus wants to do in them and hopefully to bring them into relationship. And as a church, our small groups, um, you know, some of the small groups have either non-Christians or like, we're not sure where that person is. You know, and that's a good thing. As a whole, though, this is kind of a new concept for some of you, that small groups actually are missional, that we can actually see people come to relationship with, to Jesus in our small group. And I want to tell you, this is one of the best ways. Uh, people that uh, are non-believers, if you invite them over and say, hey, we, we gather together and we just talk about some things and share what's going on in our life, read some Bible verses, we have a little meal together if, if you do that. If, they're, if they come into that small setting and, and see you do life, they are more likely to be open to hear the message of the gospel and to come to a service and, and hear the salvation preached and accept it. So it's, it's extremely powerful, and I, I've seen it work in other places. So uh, understand that small groups are a safe place to bring non-Christians or to bring people exploring their faith. Um, and to be involved in, okay, so the final thing is small groups are also to be a witness to the world. Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended, this is from Acts chapter 1, it says, you shall be my witnesses. Uh, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He said that to his disciples before he ascended. So as a group, Right? Not just as individuals going out being, uh, you know, lone star, lone ranger. But as a group, you're going to be witnesses. And so church functions best when we function together. And small groups are just a way to facilitate that in our context. I challenge you over, uh, actually in a couple of weeks, we'll actually start the sign-up uh, um, process and what we do here is we have scheduled meetings every other week, but encourage relationship throughout um, uh, the whole year that you plug into a group. We do encourage people to stay in the same group, but it's not required. Lots of things can happen. Maybe the meeting night doesn't work out, or logistically it's not best, or maybe you just want to try another group and get to know a different group of people. That's okay. And so you're going to have the opportunity to sign up for um, uh, community groups in a few weeks, but I just wanted to take this time to give you kind of a theological framework as to why we do groups and the importance thereof. Would you just join with me in a word of prayer? All right. Father, we thank you that you died on the cross to save us individually from our sins and that you promise a personal relationship with each and every one, but that you also promise something more that you promised to place the solitary in families, and that as a church, we are a spiritual family. And I pray that everyone here would see the value of that and see how we can get to know you better as we get to know one another better as we pursue this. Father, I pray that all of us would experience that lying down in green pastures and experiencing a supernatural provision and a place of rest and community. And we just pray that uh, as a church, we would effectively accomplish this and reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, we have a prayer team, prayer and rhema ministry that's going to be available. 
And uh, there's also prayer ministry available for those online. If you go to that uh, link, you can sign up for a ministry that you can receive. And here, there's a group of people that will pray for you. If you have spiritual needs, physical needs, or just uh, would like someone to agree in prayer with you, they're available and love to do that. Otherwise, stand up, greet one another. Uh, uh, You are dismissed to go do and be Christ in our community. As Jesus said, now go!